0: Our scripture reading for this morning is Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, and 8 through 11. As we approach the holy scriptures this morning, let me lead you in a word of prayer. Father, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your holy scriptures. Inspired by your spirit, people who wanted to follow you wrote these words down many years ago. And we take a journey to enter these words. We take a journey to try to understand context. We take a journey to understand um, the, the original language. We take a journey to try to understand how these words have been translated along the many years that they have been read out loud every Christmas. And we journey with you by the power of your spirit so that you would be one with us And we would hear your voice as we read these words. For we ask in your name, amen. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for all who grieve in Zion. Bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, a display for his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that now have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among all the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. May God be blessed in the reading of his holy word this morning. Is anybody else like me that you just get a little too excited about presents? Like honestly, like if you see a present and it has your name on it Is there anything a better feeling on the planet than that? I'll let you know how bad this is for me I I gotta tell you because this happened to me on my way here this morning. I'm driving into Exeter There's a truck at the side of the road. Hensel truck. Do you know this one? and it's got two things on the back wrapped up like presents, and I'm like, what is that? And are they for me, right? That was honestly, it overwhelms me. When I was a kid, if we went to like a bank, and underneath the phony tree in the bank, there was presents, I would check just in case there was something for me. I'm one of the, anybody else like this? Like, I just, there's an excitement, there's an eagerness about presents that I just I just love. And so this idea of of of, of opening and un, unwrapping presence is like really exciting to me. So I, I wanna unwrap this this one because the, the story as you know is an uh, unwrapping story, right? Like the, the way most of us hear this passage is rarely in Isaiah 61. And I don't know if you remember this, but the, the place most of us read this story is actually Luke four, right? Do you remember that? Because Luke walked, or Jesus walks into the, the synagogue in Luke four, and he's teaching like he normally teaches, and somebody hands him the scroll of Isaiah and he unwraps it, unrolls it to the right place, and he starts reading right here, right here, of this this spirit and, and of this new world, and he unwraps a present for the planet because he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is fulfilled in your hearing. It's an unwrapping of a new world, isn't it? It's an unwrapping of a new way to see the world. It's an unwrapping of what is expected of the church and what we should be in this world. And it's really exciting. It's really exciting. And when when I think about a new way it should be, I get really excited. Do Do you long for a new world? Anybody else long for, not an escape from this one, Not a zip off to heaven to eat cream cheese and play the harp. Not that type of idea. That's a a misnomer about what church is all about. That's not in scripture. In scripture, heaven comes here, right? May your kingdom come and will be done where? on earth as it is in heaven. So this whole idea of zipping away from here is not in in Christianity at all. That's Gnosticism. The idea that that we are to invade this planet by the power of the Spirit, that's Christianity. And so we hear about a new world, and what we, we have to do when we think about the new world is it needs to replace Some things in this world, and that's what this passage is all about. It's a replacement passage. Instead of this, we have this. Instead of this, we have this. And I think I get really excited by this because I'm tired of the way it is. I'm tired of the way it is. This week, I do do a walk a few times a week, and I go uh, down by the river in in London, and I I chat with people and hang out with people that are outside, and thankfully, there is a response going on in London. It's called Wish, look into it, it's really exciting. I'm not gonna share any more, well, I probably will. But anyways, uh, I'm walking down by the river, and I run into a tent, and I know the person who stays in that tent, and I call out that person's name, and there is no answer. And so I figure maybe they're not there, or I don't know what's going on. But then I, I, we, we have been asked to make sure that if we don't know, that we make sure that what's going on. So then I, I call out the person's name, and I said, I'm just going to unzip the tent, just see how you're doing, see what's going on. I don't want to invade your privacy, just want to see how things are going. And I unzip the tent, and I see the, the person there, and I'm still calling out their name, and I'm still um, trying to figure out if they're awake or not. And finally, I get a little hum or a mmm, kind of this noise, but we didn't get a response. We actually got some nurses involved and other things. I don't want to live in a world where I'm checking if people are alive anymore. Right? I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to live in the world where I have to go check if people are still outside. That's not fair. And I know each one of us has a heartbreak moment like this. I know some of us who, who work with people who are, are older than us say, I don't want to live in a world where people are just kept in little rooms by themselves and no family visits them. I don't want to live in that world anymore. I don't want to live in a world where, where where little children are struggling in school and it's really hard for them socially and academically and, and everybody instead of trying to help them laughs at them. We don't wanna live in that world. Anybody else with me on this? And so there's a lot of instead ofs in this passage, and we unwrap a new world, a new world. And what's it gonna take to get into this new world? there's a couple of surprises for Israel as they're hearing these passages and as as Jesus unpacks his understanding of these passages. And we'll get to those surprises later because the surprises are actually going to be calls upon our life to give up things that we thought we, we held dear. And those are the things that that are going to challenge Israel, and those are the things that challenge the church. But first, let's go through some of the exciting good news things. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, this was a time that, that the Israelites were expecting would come. It was the end of exile. I've been doing this sermon series for three weeks now, so I'm sure you all get the idea of exile. That the the people of God were taken out of their land, put in a foreign land, because they weren't being the people of God. They were surrounded by empire... And they were told not to be like empire because empire was oppressing people, empire treated people as resources, empire treated the world as a resource instead of something you partner with, instead of something you love, like the way we were called to be, a blessing to the nations, a blessing to one another. That was the point of of Israel, that's the point of the church. And so they are called out of that place, they're ripped out of that place so that they're put in a foreign land so that they would focus on nothing but God. And focusing on nothing but God, they would see God, hear God's heart, like I talked about earlier, and get a sense of what God is all about. And then the return from exile would be a shift back to their land, when they would be sovereign in their own land again, and they would start to live out their calling once again. But God wasn't just going to return them to the land and just keep them the way they were, he wants them to be that renewed people So he's going to do a bunch of things for them to make sure. First of all, as we looked at last week in Isaiah 40, he's going to forgive them. So the expectation of the end of exile was the forgiveness of sins. They would be forgiven and they would be put back in their land. They would not be overlorded anymore by an empire. They themselves would be their own lords. And they would be able to to rule in the way of Yahweh, of the Lord God. Now, to do this, they need God's very presence. They can't do it on their own. Anybody come to that place in your life where you realize you can't do it on your own? It's one of the parts of AA which I absolutely love. That we, uh, when you walk through the AA model, one of the first steps is I cannot do it on my own. It's a really good place to be, isn't it? where you start to say, I cannot do it on my own. And Israel got there. We cannot do it on our own. So what was God going to do but give his presence? I give you my spirit. The spirit of the living God is upon me. The spirit comes and fills me but it's not a spirit like the spirit of the Old Testament. The spirit in the Old Testament came and left, came and left, entered people at certain times and then left people at certain times. The end of exile was going to be a time where the spirit came and rested and stayed among the people, that they would be the temple Paul uses this language, of the Holy Spirit. They would be the very presence of God for the world. They would be a royal priesthood for the whole world, that God's presence would be with them. So that's the first thing that it's going to take, is that the Spirit of the living God is going to come. And it's going to be good news. It's going to be good news. I am tired of bad news. I'm tired of bad news. I remember my grandfather, a good Dutch farmer man, and we would watch the news together and he and I would watch it and at times he would say, why is there never good news on the news? They call it news, but it's not news, it's bad news. There's an accident today, there's a building, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's fires, there's, and, there's, and the weather, and sports, and entertainment. But that's all they had. They never had good news. Right? When you watch the news or you look at the news on, in, in the paper, it's never the, new, bad, uh, the the good news. It's just bad news. So we, we want good news. I'm looking for good news. And, and the, the spirit of the, the living God is upon us to give us good news. Good news. We heard already that the angel said the same thing to the shepherds. Behold, I bring you good news for all people. I bring you good news for all people. And here is the first of the two surprises for Israel. They are not the only special people. They are not the only special people. Who is the news for? All people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was the shock for Israel. The shock for Israel was that they were the people of God and they were the blessed people and they were to hold on to that blessing and that's what they were doing. They weren't releasing the blessing out to the whole world as they were called to. And God said, no, I've had enough of this. It's not about holding on to the message. It's about being the people that spread the message, that share the message. For God so loved the world. Good news for all people. But Israel, that was one of their things. They thought they were the special ones. They thought they were the ones that, that had to hold on to it. And when we have traumatic parts of our life, that's how we treat others. When we have trauma in our life, we tend to think that love is limited. That love only can take care of a couple of people at a time. And that if a person loves you, they can't possibly love somebody else like they love you. So we try to hold on to that love, and we try to contain it, and we try to contain that person. We did that with God for way too long. That we tried to hold him and said, well, he can only love this group of people, or that church, or these people, or this family. We've done that for way too long. But then we've held on to him, and we didn't let him go. We didn't release him for all people. And we do that as the church to this day. We do that where we hold on to God. We hold on to him instead of releasing him and letting him be wherever he wants. And what I think that we need to get into our minds and our hearts is that God's love is big enough for all of us. God's love is big enough for all of us. I remember first experiencing this through my great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, the trip to her place every year was the highlight of my life as a child. We would go to a place north of Perry Sound to a small town of Dunchurch, and north of that to the family farm which we've had in our family since before 1900. And my great-great-uncle Nelson was a farmer there and my great-great-aunt Bessie and my great-grandmother, three siblings all lived together and they made us bread and they made us feel welcome and they loved us and we walked around and went fishing. It was like this beautiful slice of heaven, would you imagine? And it was so amazing to be there and what I felt when I was there for my great-grandmother was this enormous sense of love. And then I chatted with my cousins the following Christmas, and found out they had a great-grandma, too. Yeah. And she loved them, too. And they felt really loved by her, too. This messed me up. I was like, no way. That can't possibly be. I actually remember this as a child, working through this in my brain. I am saying like, that's not possible. She loves me, and I know she loves me and me only. I'm like, no, no. And my cousins were chatting about, no, we, she really loves us too. I was like, oh, really? And I think we do that with God, don't we? That we hold on to him and say, no, no, we've got you, and, and you can't possibly love too many people. But, but we've, we've done that to the detriment of, of our message. We, we need to remember that this message is for all people, for all people. It's good news for all people. And then if we're going to get into this message of what is the good news, it's a replacement and an instead of. It's a replacement and an instead of. Listen to all the replacements. God is going to replace oppression with liberation. He's going to replace binding. Uh, He's going to um, bind up broken hearts. Isn't that a beautiful image? Bind up broken hearts. That our hearts are ripped apart. Have you ever seen something so painful that your heart ripped apart? Have you ever seen an injustice so blatant in front of you that your heart ripped apart? People ask me why I do what I do for a living. That's what my answer is. Every single time I saw an injustice and it ripped my heart in half. He was a little boy about eight years old. I was on a a mission trip to Minneapolis and he uh, came to this day program we were doing there. And he was one of those super eight year old athletes. And he was like, bouncing a basketball all around me, and he was doing all sorts of amazing things, and he and I really got along well during the day, and we offered one meal, which was a chicken dinner at lunchtime for these kids. Uh, That was part of the thing we were doing, and near the end of the day, he and I were sitting down chatting, and I was trying to figure out where he was going to go that evening and what he was going to do, and he really didn't know where he was going to go that night. He said, if my brother's girlfriend is over, I can't go there. And if my mom's boyfriend is over, I can't go there. And I didn't want to ask the follow-up question of where you would be if that didn't happen. Because that meant the streets. And he's eight years old. And when that happens to you, your heart just rips it off. And you say, that's not the way it should be. And God said, I'm going to bind that up. I'm going to take that heart and put it back together because we're gonna start working towards a better world. We're gonna start working towards making sure there's not eight-year-olds who are homeless. We're going to work towards that as the church together. We're gonna take all of you all together, and we're gonna work on that together. We're gonna bind up broken hearts. We're gonna have freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners. I like those two images because those images are not about people who are bad. That's, that's a thing that we tend to read when we, we, when we read scripture. We don't always understand why people were in prison back then. Most people were in prison for debt. I hope you know that. By the way, it's still that today. If you look at the, the prison system, most people that are in prison have a lot less money than those people who do. Look at the stats, it's crazy. But back then, it was even more blatant. It was even more blatant that people could actually just be thrown in jail for not being able to pay their debts off. So they got thrown into jail and hoping that their, their family and friends would gather around to gather enough money so they get that person out of, out of debt. So if it, your crops didn't work out that well that year and you couldn't pay your, your uh, landowner, then you went to jail. And God said, that's enough. That's enough. We, we are a sharing people. When your crops don't work, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do as the people of God? What does it say in the year of Jubilee that when my crops don't work, what are we supposed to do as the family of God? What are we supposed to do? Share. Share. Because somebody's crops worked out well, right? And we're supposed to say, okay, there's enough for everybody here if we just took care of one another. But what have we done? We have held all of that as, as our own. I've got it, it's mine and I've gotta make profit, and I've gotta do my thing, and I get, I get finances, and I get all that, but in the world of God, what he is saying is, globally, we've gotta work this out a bit better. When it's not working out for some people because things aren't working out, then we help one another. We don't point fingers and say, it's your fault. Release the people from the prisons, because there's going to be enough if we share. It's the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is Jubilee. It's the one thing in the Old Testament that was never ever celebrated. Jubilee is that celebration of the forgiveness of the forgiveness of sins. It's the 50 year celebration where all the land is returned to its rightful owner because land was taken by oppressive regimes of people who said, well you didn't get enough so you didn't get enough and it was all linked to that prison system that if you went to jail you obviously don't own your land anymore so I'll take it and then next year when the land is good I have double the land and That means I make double the money. Do you hear all this works? Do you hear how oppression gets perpetually bigger and oppressed get continually crushed? That was the system then. It's the system today. And God said, I've had enough. Make sure everybody gets back to regular. The mountains come down and the valleys come up and life will be life abundantly. I'm getting going, aren't I? Whew. Let's go with the instead of's now. Instead of uh, ashes, we'll have a crown of beauty. Instead of mourning, we'll have an oil of gladness. Instead of despair, we'll have a garment of praise. Did you notice that the three things are about royalty? The crown of beauty, the oil, which is the, the uh, uh, anointing oil, the anointing oil of the king so that they would be anointed and you were, you were going to be anointed as the king, and then the garment of praise. These are the three things of royalty. Instead of ashes, mourning, and despair, the three things of being crushed, I'm going to make you royalty. You are my royal people. Paul picks up that image, the royal priesthood he calls us. He doesn't call us the crushed ones anymore. He calls us the royal priesthood, the lifting up moment. And then he says, I will, I will take, rebuild the ruins. I will renew the, ru- the ruined cities. And I will make an everlasting covenant with my people. An everlasting covenant. Into the olam. Olam is the, the r- word in Hebrew for everlasting. It's the one at the end of Psalm 23. I will live in the house of the Lord into the olam. Into the olam. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I will make a forever covenant with my people, a people that won't stop, that this is their calling forever, that you will be my people forever. I will never let you go, and you will be my people. We will be the the people that will do this. And all of this, Jesus said, will be fulfilled in me today. All of this, Jesus said, will be fulfilled in me today. This is the image that God gives us of the world the way it should be. This is the present that He gives us of the world the way it should be. And He calls us to be those people. But we have held those two things within us. There's, there's, there's the two things. I want to repeat them because I didn't highlight them enough. The first one is that we're not good at sharing God with all people. That we've held on to God too much. The second thing is the weird thing that that messed up the people of God then and now is that we have oppression and oppressor within us. We keep pointing fingers and it's easy. It's much harder to look within, would you agree with me? It's much harder to look within and say, I play a role in this oppression of others. But I have found, the more that I understand the way things that are in the world, the more I understand my role and my privilege and my place within oppression of others. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of nastiness to realizing that. And it's a waking up to realizing that. And it's what spooked the Israelites the most when Jesus would proclaim it. Because he would never say it was just the Romans. He also said it's the Israelites, Right? And that messed them up. They're like, no, no, it's the Romans. The Romans are the bad guys. The Egyptians are the bad guys. The Babylonians are the bad guys. And it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to point a finger at bad guys. It's the rich people. It's the poor people. It's the ugly people. It's the beautiful people. We just keep pointing fingers at people. And what we should be doing is taking a good look here, right? And that's harder. It's much easier to stand on a pulpit and point fingers at people. It's much harder to take a look inside myself. It's much harder to say, where do I play a role? How do I interact with people? Are my ways violent and oppressive without wanting to be? My my dad used to tell me that my, my mouth would get me in trouble when I was younger all the time because I was really sarcastic as a kid. That's probably hard for many of you to believe. But at times, sarcasm can be fun if people understand it, but sarcasm can also be something that's violent. It can hurt people, can it not? It can really crush people. And I had to learn that I crush people with my words. And that sucks. That sucks to find out you hurt people and you don't want to. Because it's not within me that I wanted to, it just comes out, and there's a... And then I had to learn to find ways to control it, and try to find ways to be silly in other ways instead of being sarcastic. That's just one thing I've discovered about myself. What is it for you? What is it for you that, that where, where you're not the way you should be? Maybe you like your, your time and space so much that when you're out in public, you just kind of give that people the glare. Are you that person? I know a few people like that, I'm like that at times. I'm in the grocery store, and I just don't want to be bothered, so I just give people the death glare, get away from me, let me touch the grapefruit, not you, pal. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we're participating in things that, that aren't, aren't healthy. Sometimes we're purchasing items that, that are, are not great for, for the way the world is. And I just ask us to take deep looks within, because those things are to be replaced, right? Right? Those things, we're supposed to bind broken hearts, freedom from the captives, the year of the Lord's favor. We're supposed to rebuild and have the crown of beauty and the oil of gladness and the garment of praise, and it's a replacement of all those things. But it's not just a replacement to point fingers at those people and say, they need it replaced, they need it replaced, they need it replaced, and say, I need it replaced too. And that's a good, hard searching of ourselves. But we don't do it alone. That's why I love the community of God the way it should be. Because the community of God should be a place of honesty, that we can actually do that for one another. I'm terrible at this. And if any of my staff are watching, you know this. If any of my family are watching, you know this. That I'm not good at receiving, hey, you did this and it hurt me. I'm not good. I don't like hearing that because I have like separation pains and all sorts of other trauma in my brain that, that makes me feel like I'm not worthy at those moments. But if I can walk through it with any healing, then I'll realize that they were right and I need to change. And that's hard to have, isn't it? But it's amazing to have friends that do that. It's amazing to have family that do that. And I ask that we can be that people together. That we can be families like that that we can be friends like that, we can be a church like that, that we can actually call one another out in love and in honesty. Remember that tenderness we used to talk about last week? We still have to do that when we're doing this stuff for one another. But we need to find ways to do that for one another. Now this got really serious really quickly. So I wanna wrap it up in this idea of, of this whole image as a dream. It's a dream. This whole image is of, of Isaiah 61 is a dream of the way the world should be. That we can, we can we, we start to dream again. One of the things that we have found about, about great trauma and great oppression is that people don't dream when they're in oppression and they're in, in trauma. And when you can start to relieve that, when healing starts to happen, we begin to dream again. We begin to see the world that it's full of possibility and it's full of excitement and, and there's things that could possibly happen. That's what good news does. Good news rests on us and calls us to a better place and says those trauma and those places of oppression don't have the final say, good news does, God does. And the dream calls us to say, what will this world look like with God in charge of it? What would this world look like with God in charge of it? And we begin to dream that world. And we begin to replace oppression with liberation. We begin to replace sadness and mourning with great joy. This is the day of great joy. Now, the beauty of this passage is this that not only were we called to dream again, not only are we asked to replace those things again, we receive the spirit, God's presence, to live that. We actually get to live our dreams. Isn't that exciting? God wants to and enables an empowering of our dreams. Final story and then I'm done. It's a really quick fun story and it goes like this. Uh, I'm part of an organization called Wish. It's 18 different social services that have got together to say it's not good enough that people are sleeping outside. That's good. So, Michelle, you know Michelle, right? Yeah, she has has kind of uh, left Sanctuary but not really left Sanctuary to be part of WISH, which is amazing, and she's getting all the details because she's working with them and finding out stuff. And she found out this week that the doors on the places need a certain type of uh, a door lock, one with a key code. And so she called me on Thursday and said, we need $5,000 for a key code. I'm like, okay, I'm the donations guy, I'll find 5,000, no problem. (laughs) Right? That was 3.30 on the Thursday. I was chatting with a priest that evening who saw uh, an article we did on the CBC about WISH. And he was excited about what we were doing, so he was starting to find PJs and sheets and all sorts of cool things for for our WISH group. And he said, and I want our community to help you financially. That's what he said to me. So then I texted him back, and I said, we've got a thing here, <laughs> $5,000. Are you interested, or are you more interested in just giving generally? And he wrote back, I'm interested in just giving generally. And I said, okay, no problem. I'll try to find the money elsewhere. That's okay. An hour later, he texted back, I'm at $2,000. I want to get to five. Can I do it? I'm like, yeah, go for it. He texted me yesterday, no he saw me, sorry, he saw me yesterday at three o'clock and he told me he had six thousand dollars. I got to call Michelle yesterday and tell her less than twenty-four hours after she asked me for five thousand, I told her we had six. Isn't that That's God. That's how God works. Would you agree with that? And and God is all through this thing, and it's exciting, and I know God is is, is just doing his thing, because when we dream big dreams, he wants to take care of those big dreams. That's my final story, so I'm done. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. We thank you for what you're doing in this place and uh, what you're doing in our hearts you are giving us big dreams and allowing us to see big things. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to see these dreams you want us to live and then empower us to live out those big dreams. For We ask in Jesus' name, amen.